Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Amen. We'll take your Bibles this morning. Turn with me, if you would, to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, as we continue our study through the book of Philippians. The past few weeks, I have been really immersing myself in the book of Philippians. I'm doing my own daily Bible reading plan, but apart from that, I've just been reading Philippians over and over and over. I want to know it. I want to feel it. I want to be changed by it. Before I present it to you, I want to have been changed by it myself. And I I really want to feel the weight of it, the depth of it. There's so many glorious passages of Scripture in the book of Philippians, and I want them to be very real to me before I give them to you. So I'm asking God as I read this, God, help me to see it. Help me to know this. Help me to understand it. Change me from this book. And as I've been reading this over and over, I've been reminded again of the centrality of the gospel in the book of Philippians. They say, well, well, isn't the gospel central to everything? Absolutely. But there is something unique, it seems to me, about the book of Philippians in that there is this constant repetition of the gospel and a demonstration that the gospel is really central to everything in the life of the church and the life of the believer. Nine times in this short book, Paul mentions the gospel of Jesus Christ. The first one is in chapter 1, verse 5, when he says, you have partnered with me in the gospel from the first day until now. He says it again in verse 7 when he talks about, I have been imprisoned for my defense and confirmation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In verse 12, he says, you know what has happened to me, talking about his imprisonment, has served to advance the gospel. He says again in verse 16, you know that I am here in prison for the defense of the gospel. Verse 27 of chapter 1, he says, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the first command in Philippians, let your life be a proper reflection of the gospel. And then the key verse for all of the book of Philippians in 127, he says, I want to be able to hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. If you ever wanted a picture of what the church is to be doing, it's that. Every individual member together striving for the faith of the gospel. Chapter 2, verse 22, he talks about the proven worth of Timothy. How as a son with a father, he served with me in the gospel. Chapter 4, he talks about these two women who are not getting along. And he says it's sad because there was a time when they were laboring side by side with me in the the gospel. In chapter 4, verse 14, or 15, he says, And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership in giving and receiving but me, but you. It tells us that we are to be together in the gospel. We're to be striving for the gospel. We're to be defending the gospel. We're to be willing to be imprisoned for the gospel. We are to be passionate about the advance of the gospel. That, as it says in chapter three, someone or chapter two, someone's worth is actually seen in how closely they hold to the gospel. It tells us in chapter one that every ambition that we have as individuals 
and as a church is to be found in the gospel of Jesus Christ and frankly, the way in which we learn to live is worthy of the gospel. As I've been thinking about that all week, I, I've been a little torn because I've already given two weeks of introduction. It was my desire to stop or to start this morning in verse three, but I have to tell you as I've been thinking about this and praying about this, I've just become concerned that if we do not understand what Paul means by gospel, nothing else matters. I mean, we certainly can't understand any verse in Philippians, nor can any of it be applied to us, nor can we be the church that God has called us to be if we are not clear on what we mean when we say that word. Now, there's two sides of this to me. The, the, the first part of me says, listen, of course we understand the gospel. We're a gospel church. I mean, this is one of those churches where if I say the word gospel in the right way, everybody says amen. We're a gospel church. Amen. I actually thought it was going to be better than that, I'll be honest. <laughs> This is a, another confirmation I'm headed in the right direction in my sermon this week. Sky, I mean, this is right. I mean, it's just, so, but this is a gospel church. We know that. We're all about the, the gospel. So on one hand, I know that. I think we, we do believe the gospel. On the other hand, I'm fairly convinced that if I were to give a three-by-five card to every person here this morning and say, just write down what we mean when we say the gospel, we would get all kinds of different responses. We actually did this exercise in a previous church. We took our senior high boys. The vast majority of them had been raised in the church. I mean, born in the church, had been in the church 16, 17, 18 years. We gave them a little card, and we said, write down what is the gospel. One student got close. I don't know exactly why that's the case, but it's, it's true. I had lunch with a young man a couple of years ago who was raised in a previous church, literally born in the church, had graduated from high school in the church, so 18 years immersed in the church, and his family brought him to everything. So he heard countless sermons, countless Sunday school lessons and small group Bible studies, but he had drifted away from the church after college. I found out he was getting married, so I pursued him. We had lunch, and I asked him how he was doing, and I said, listen, is your fiance?" A believer in Jesus Christ. Is she a Christian? Here's his answer. She's a really nice and kind lady, so I think so. This is a man raised in the church, and his understanding of whether someone was a Christian or not is if they were nice and kind. So I'm, I'm debating about this all week, and then... Uh, I meet a man uh, this week, a faithful follower of Jesus Christ, who tells me the story about how last week he led his 81-year-old father-in-law to Christ. And a matter of fact, the rest of the story is, is that just a few days after that, he died, the 81-year-old man. Led to Christ, right, just a few days before he died. But, but the big part of the story is this. This is an 81-year-old man who was a deacon and a choir member in another church in this community. 81-year-old deacon was on his deathbed, and not only was he not sure he was a Christian, he wasn't sure how to become a Christian. So I am fairly confident that as much as we love to talk about the gospel, I'm not sure we all understand it in the same way. And listen, if I'm wrong and you're going, oh, please, Pastor, we know the gospel, then forgive me this morning. I just feel led by the Spirit as we're moving forward before we talk about how important it is that we be together for this thing that we understand what this thing is. So this morning, I want to answer two questions. First, what is the gospel? And second, why does the gospel matter? 
What is the gospel and why does the gospel matter? First of all, I wanna explain what is the gospel. And I really would ask that you just listen to me. I'm gonna ask you to write down a few things when we get to why does the gospel matter. Would you just listen as I tell the story of the gospel? Listen, it's very, under, it's very important for you to understand the gospel is a story. We often view the gospel as a list of facts that you can put down on an index card that need to be believed, but the gospel is no more a list of facts than your life is a list of facts. Can I talk about your life with facts? Yes. Does that tell me really the story of your life? No. There's a story in your life, and there's a story in the gospel, and the reason it's important to see the gospel as a story because... When God calls you to come into a relationship with him, he is not simply asking you to believe some facts. He's asking you to enter into a new life where the gospel becomes your new life. So if we always talk about the gospel as believe these facts, then you will go through life thinking that as long as you believe those things, you're okay. That is not the gospel. The gospel is a story. It's the story of God. The God who is the creator of all things in heaven and on earth. The God who by the very word of his power spoke every single thing into existence. Therefore, every single thing in existence was created by him and exists for him. It all exists for his glory. What we mean by that is that everything God created, he created so that it might say something about himself. The heavens are declaring the glory of God. Everything that God has created exists that we might see it and come to know something more about his greatness and his power and his beauty. Because God is the creator of all things, he is the sovereign ruler of all things. Ephesians 1.11 says he is working all things according to the counsel of his will. God has a will. He has a plan. And he is orchestrating everything to be accomplished according to that plan. And he is the ruler and the king of all things. The Psalms speak to this over and over about the fact that God is enthroned on high, ruling over all things. Psalm 2 is one of the best pictures. It says the nations are raging and the kingdoms are plotting and everyone is gathering together against the Lord and his anointed. And it says the Lord sits on his throne in heaven and laughs. Because no one can thwart the plans of God. No one can overtake the authority of God. He is the king of all kings. He is the Lord of all lords. He is the sovereign king over all of the universe. And he's created everything according in his perfect wisdom to his design. And as long as things work according to his design, they work perfectly. It's the story of God, creator, king, ruler, judge, sovereign over all the universe. But the gospel is also the story of us. It is the story of the fact that we, too, were created by God and in his image. The most amazing thing, that every single one of us, according to Psalm 139, were perfectly knit together in your mother's womb. You were not an accident. You were here because God wanted you here. And not only that, every single one of us are perfectly unique because God created every one of us individually perfectly weaving us together. He created us that we might know him. God is a relational God. He has lived in eternity past in relationship, the Father, Son, and the Spirit in perfect relationship. 
but God, longing to have a relationship with us, creates us so that we might know him. And, listen to this, so we might enjoy him. Do you know the God that created us knows that we will only find enjoyment in a relationship with God, that true life and true enjoyment is found in him, and he created us that we might enjoy life with him. He created us that we might reflect him. We were born in his image. Therefore, we exist to display his glory, that people might see us and know something more about him. But you know that that's not the end of the story of us. The story of us is that we did not want to live under God's authority. We rebelled against God's authority, and we wanted to be our own king. God created us to live under his authority. That is where we come to know him and find enjoyment of him. But every single one of us have taken our puny little fist and shook it in the face of God and said, God, we want to do things our own way. We don't want to live under your authority. We want to be our own king. And so we take the king and we place it on our own heads. And Isaiah 53 says, all of us like sheep have gone astray. We have all gone our own way. Romans 3 says, there is no one righteous, no, not one. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God, meaning we have all found it impossible to live for God's glory. Ephesians 2 says, because of our sin, we are spiritually dead. We are spiritually disobedient, and we are spiritually doomed. Because of our rebellion and desire to be our own king, we are now living in a state of separation from God. We don't experience his life or his joy or his favor or his blessing in that way. We have been alienated with God. And the truth is, unless we come back into a relationship with him, we will be eternally alienated with God. And the saddest part is this, is that alienation from God and our desire to be our own king simply causes us to make a greater mess of everything in life. Isn't it true? If you choose to be your own king and to walk outside of the authority of Christ, every single step you're taking is a step of greater mess and confusion. But this is what we have chosen to do. We have chosen because of our own rebellion to walk outside of a relationship with him, causing a greater mess in our lives, and as a result, experience separation from God, separation from everything that is good and loving and kind and holy. It's a story about God. It's a story about us. It's a story about a Savior. That God, in his infinite love for us, hard to believe that in the midst of all of our rebellion and the fact that we have consciously over and over said, God, we don't want to live your way. We don't care if you created us or not. We want to be our own king. Yet God, who longs for us and longs to have a relationship with us, has provided a way that we might have all of our rebellion forgiven and be brought back into a relationship with him. He longs for us. He longs to be in a relationship with us. And so God sent someone to come and to rescue us, to do what only this rescuer could do, to come and to pay for our sins and take the penalty of our sins and provide a way for us to get all of our sins forgiven and know him once again. And the rescuer's name is Jesus Christ. The only son of God, perfect in righteousness and holiness. Listen, the only one who ever lived the way we were intended to live. We were intended to live holy. 
We were intended to live righteous, perfectly walking under the authority of God every moment, reflecting him perfectly and knowing him, enjoying him. But because of our sin, we were never able to do that. Do you realize that Jesus came and lived a perfect life? He always enjoyed the Father. He always walked in perfect submission. His will was completely submissive to the will of the Father. And the punishment for sin is death. We die because sin exists. So there is one man who lived on the earth who should have never died because he never sinned. Yet at the end of his life, he is dying the most shameful criminal's death. But there is Jesus, the perfect son of God who never sinned and never deserved to die, hanging on a cross, publicly being put to shame with the most hardened criminal. The truth of the gospel is this. Jesus did not die for his sin. He died for yours. But he was the only one that could have paid this price. So there is Jesus hanging on the cross in order to pay the penalty for every sin that you've committed. I want you to think about this. Imagine the pain of every sin in your life. The guilt, the shame, all of the rippling effects of your sin that have gone throughout your life and the life of your family and all of the pain that comes with your sin. And imagine at one moment every bit of that pain being placed on one man. And for the very first time, Jesus experienced absolute separation from God when he took upon himself our sin and died for it. Dying the death that we deserve. And not only did he die, but three days later he rose again, demonstrating his power over death and over sin, demonstrating that he is victorious over those things. And then he ascended to the right hand of the Father, where right now Jesus is sitting, ruling and reigning over all the earth, because Jesus says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And right now Jesus is ascended, seated in his rightful place, and one day will return to rescue his people and judge the world in story of God. It is the story of us. It is the story of a savior. And it is the story of a choice that every single person has a choice to make. You can choose to continue to walk in your own way. That you can be the boss of your life. You have that right. You can walk under your own authority, rejecting the will and the way of God and simply saying, God, I don't want to do it your way. I want to do it my way. You have the right to do that and continue to make an absolute mess of your life and someday die and be eternally separated from God in hell. And can I tell you the worst thing about hell is not the presence of eternal fire, which is there. The worst thing about hell is the absence of any ounce of goodness and love and grace and kindness because God is not there. You cannot imagine the spiritual and physical misery of eternity in hell, separated from every ounce of goodness which is God but you can make that choice or you can choose to acknowledge God as the creator and king over all things to trust that Jesus Christ alone is the way to have your sins forgiven and choose not only to believe that Jesus died for your sins but by faith to submit to Jesus Christ as the king of your life and begin a new life where you are no longer Lord but he is Listen, this is not simply about you believing some facts and praying a prayer. It is a believing that the only life worth living is the life under the authority of Jesus Christ. And you now saying, I submit my life to you. You are now my king. 
And if you make that choice, the Bible says that by your faith in Jesus Christ and his death for you, you have the opportunity to begin to experience eternal life, life with God right now. This is eternal life that you may know him. And it doesn't immediately fix all of your problems, but it does take you on the path to restoration, the path of life as God intended it to be, which we will not fully experience until we meet him in glory. It's the story of God, the story of us, the story of a savior, and it is the story of a choice that we have to make. My favorite gospel verse is 2 Corinthians 5, 21. It says this, he, God the Father, made him who knew no sin, God the Son, Jesus Christ, to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. What that means is that the moment in which Jesus was on the cross dying, God the Father took all the sin that we have ever committed, he took it off of us, he placed it on Jesus, where Jesus died and paid for it, and then he took the perfect life of Christ, required for us to get into heaven, he took it off of Jesus and placed it on us, so that means that when we come into relationship with God, God the Father sees us through the lens of the perfect life of Jesus Christ. To God, it is as if we lived that perfect life. We're clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, holy and righteous, acceptable to God, not because of any deeds that we have done in righteousness, but because of the perfect life and death of Jesus Christ. It's the story of the gospel. You say, why does that that story matter? I want to give you quickly this morning a few reasons why the gospel matters. I want to encourage you to write these down because some of these will be clear and familiar to you, some of them may not be at all. And it is this right here that we have to understand in order for us to understand what Paul means when he talks about the gospel. Why does the gospel matter? First of all, the gospel matters because the gospel alone can save us. Write that down. The gospel alone can save us. Acts 4.12 says, there is no other name under heaven by which men might be saved but the name of Jesus Christ. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the only way to the Father. No one gets to him except going through me. The only way to escape the penalty of sin, the only way to walk the path of restoration, the only way to escape eternity in hell, separated from God, is by trusting in Jesus Christ and his work on your behalf. It is not about trusting an aisle that you walked, or some water that you got dunked in, or a prayer that you prayed, if that's what you're trusting, you're actually trusting in something you've done. What we trust in is in what Christ has already done. And my prayer is simply an acknowledgement that I am trusting what Christ has done on my behalf and believing that it is sufficient for me. The good news which is called the gospel of Jesus Christ, is this, listen, that it is possible for every single one of you today to leave here knowing for sure that you know God. These things are written, it says in 1 John, that you may know that you have eternal life. You don't have to be an 81-year-old man on his deathbed having spent his life in church, but yet always afraid to say the simple truth, I'm not sure I'm saved. That doesn't have to be your story. 
There can be a news story for you today when you simply say, God, I'm trusting in Jesus' death as payment for my sins, and I am, as a result, choosing to turn from my sin, to turn from you, and I'm saying, Lord, I'm gonna do it your way. I've done it my way, and it doesn't work. I'm choosing to do it your way. Listen, you are not saved by believing the facts. You are saved by trusting in the life and death of Christ and saying, I now want the story of the gospel to be my story. I'm entering into a life of trusting and following Christ. I just want to beg you that if God is stirring in your heart and you feel any insecurity about this issue, or if you feel in your heart a desire to get right with God in a few moments when we stand and have a time of invitation, you don't need to walk, you need to run. And come. Let us minister to you and give your life to Jesus Christ. And listen, it may be that you've been a member of this church for 40 years. No one will be ashamed. We will rejoice in the new life that God has given us. The gospel matters because the gospel alone can save us. Let me give you the second reason it matters. The gospel matters because the gospel alone, write this down, can sanctify us. The gospel alone can sanctify us. Say, Pastor, what do you mean by the word sanctify? Justification is the act in which we're declared righteous when we trust Christ. Sanctification is now the life that we live as we're seeking to be conformed into the image of Christ. So the moment we become a Christian, we now begin a life of following Christ. If you're not having a life of making progress with Christ, then you have not been justified because God declares in Romans 8, everyone who has been justified will be sanctified and everyone who's been sanctified will be glorified. So you are declared righteous, and then you enter into this life of sanctification, of growing in righteousness and practical holiness. And I want you to listen to me so carefully. Probably the biggest burden on my heart is this one, is that we understand this simple fact. You never outgrow the gospel. The gospel is not that thing which you needed to know in order to get saved, and now what you got that settled, you don't need it anymore. That is not the way the gospel works. We never stop needing the gospel. In the same way that you are saved by the gospel, I want you to know you will only be sanctified by the gospel as well. The gospel is the key to every bit of your spiritual growth. It forms every bit of your understanding on how to be a Christian. Because the Bible says that the moment in which you become a Christian, you are united with Christ in his death and his burial and resurrection. And so what has been true of Christ is now true of you. And your ability to walk with Jesus is because of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean, think about this with me. How do you fight sin? You fight it with the truth of the gospel. Some of you are constantly defeated by sin. And I would say the reason is, is because you're trying to pull yourself up by the bootstraps and apply just a lot of self-will and decide, I just gotta get better. And probably what you've realized is it just doesn't work. And Romans 6 says, the way in which we fight sin is we realize that our old sinful man was crucified on the cross, meaning that when Christ died, my old man died too. I don't have to sin any longer. I have been freed from the slavery of sin. It is possible for me to be free from sin. Why? Because I am united in the death of Christ. So how do I live for holiness? Well, 
in the same way that I have been united in his death, I'm united in his resurrection. Romans 6.14 says, in the same way Christ was raised, I was raised so I can walk in newness of life. I get new life. And I get the power of the Holy Spirit residing in me so that through the ongoing work of Christ in my life, I can be a fruitful follower of Christ. So how do I find my identity in Christ? Well, Ephesians 1 says, when you are united with Christ, at that moment, you get every blessing in the heavenly places. You find at that moment that you are adopted, that you are chosen, that you are loved, that you are an heir of all the promises of God. And those of you who are struggling to know who you are which is a struggle for every single one of us, and you wonder why you're so insecure about your life and you're just confused about who you are, it is because you have yet to see yourself in light of what Christ has done for you. Your identity is found in the truth of the gospel. How do you find your purpose in life? Well, 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says, Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all for the glory of God. Ephesians 2 says, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. And so when we understand ourselves united with Christ, all of a sudden we have purpose in life because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So how do I learn how to parent or how to be a spouse? Well, because 1 Corinthians 1.30 says, in Christ is all the wisdom of God. And in the way of walking with Christ we start to understand the wisdom of God in every situation of our lives. Listen to me. The gospel is our story. This is our life. We are entering into this new life in which we have our old life buried. We get a new life through the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. And every moment of your life only makes sense when you see it through the lens of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So if you're thinking the gospel was what you needed to know to get saved and then you left the gospel back there, you will never grow in Christ-likeness. We are only saved by the gospel. We are only sanctified. Let me give you the last one. The gospel matters because the gospel alone can sustain us. The gospel alone can sustain us. This life, as we are left here in this sinful world awaiting the coming of Jesus Christ to save us and establish his kingdom on earth is hard. Life is hard, amen? We need to just acknowledge that life in this sinful world is hard. My question for you is this. When you feel hopeless and condemned and defeated and overcome by despair, where do you go and what do you do? Because you will. You would feel defeated and discouraged. It was David with all of his relationship with the Lord and the depth of his relationship with God who said, why so downcast, O my soul? Every one of us will have moments of hopelessness and despair and defeat and discouragement. And what do you do in those moments? The answer is, is you remind yourself of the gospel of Christ. Where do you find hope? You find hope in the certainty of the gospel that I know exactly who I am. I know exactly where I'm headed because I know that my life has been purchased by Jesus Christ. I have unshakable confidence because of what Christ did for me. Where do I find my rest from this constant feeling that I've got to please everybody and make everyone happy and always be good enough for God? It comes from the rest of the finished work of Jesus Christ, meaning you can't add one thing to what Christ has already done for your life. 
You're already approved. You're already right. You don't have to prove yourself to anyone or live for anyone else's approval because God has already said to you, you are my beloved son and I am pleased with you. So that's where you go when you're desiring rest. What do you do when you feel unloved and forgotten? You remember that because of Christ, there is nothing that can separate you from the love of God. You are fully and eternally loved. Where do you find your strength to go one more day? Isn't the strength that is provided through the gospel of Jesus Christ? God is sustaining me by my confidence in him and what he has done, knowing that I don't have the strength that God does, and because of my relationship with him, I can depend on him every moment to give me what I do not have myself. On July 11th, 2013, I've mentioned this a little bit before, but I want to give you an example of how this works out. Uh, Andrew and I walked into a little room filled with computer monitors where they showed us that this little thing that we were feeling right there was an 11 centimeter tumor in her chest. So there we were in that moment that many of you have experienced where we found out that she had cancer, found out it was also in her liver, that it was stage four cancer. And the question is, is that all of us are going to go through moments like this and what do you do? And can I just say something, listen carefully, your little chicken soup for the Christian soul is not going to sustain you in a moment like that. Your little beautifully embroidered brown Jesus calling is not going to get you through those moments. Can I just say that? I I went to somebody's house a couple of years ago. I went to the bathroom, and right by the bathroom was a one-minute devotional. I almost threw up. Like, are you serious? Like, someone says, God, I really really can't find any time for you. Oh, great. Here's a one-minute minute devotional. I I can give God one minute. Let me tell you, your one minute devotional will not sustain you in those moments. You're going to need something stronger than that. And what you're going to need is a deep rooted, not elementary, a deep rooted understanding and confidence in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That I am a part of a family of God and my father is loving and he is gracious and he is kind and nothing touches me or my wife without going through him first. And I can be confident that nothing, even that, can separate us from the love of God. I can go to Philippians 1 to realize that because of the gospel, live or die, we win. For me to live as Christ and die as gain. Why? Because what I get in death is better than anything I could get in life. How do I know that? Because I know the gospel. I can be confident in the gospel. The phrase that Andrew and I used over and over, this, that no matter what, the best is always yet to come. This is not the best life you can ever experience. The best life is the one that is coming when you meet your Father in glory. Listen, this is the gospel that is going to sustain you. Let me just make this intensely practical. Martin Lloyd-Jones, the great 20th century pastor from London, says this, that most of our unhappiness is because we're listening to ourselves instead of preaching to ourselves. Can I say that again? I'm almost done. Stay with me a couple more minutes. You don't have anything to do. It's raining anyway. Don't worry about it. And some of you are already taking your nap, so just stay with me for just a couple minutes right here. Listen, listen. I need you for about three more minutes. Listen. Most of the greatest problems in our life are caused by the fact that we're listening to ourselves instead of preaching to ourselves. 
Have you ever thought about this? Do you know the most important influential person in your life? The most influential person in your life. You know who it is? You. You spend more time with you than anybody else does. You talk to yourself more than anybody else does. You are the most influential person in your life. The question is, as you are talking to yourself, and as you are living with yourself, what is it the message that you're telling to yourself? And what Martin Lloyd-Jones is saying is that most of our problems are the fact is that we just talk to ourselves, talk to ourselves, talk to ourselves, and the message that we're talking about is not the truth of the gospel. It is a message of insecurity. It is a message of worthlessness. It is a message of confusing. Confusion is a message of despair. And you say, well, how is it that I begin to make progress and sense stronger in my relationship with Jesus Christ? It is as you learn to preach every single moment of the day the gospel of Jesus Christ to yourself, where now you're so immersed in the gospel that what you're saying to yourself every day is I am loved because of Christ and I am secure because of Christ and I am accepted because of Christ and I am blessed because of Christ and I am destined for goodness and glory because of Jesus Christ that nothing can separate me from the love of God that God is on my side working with me and for me orchestrating all things and I can rest in the perfect plan of God why? because you belong to him there is nothing that will sustain you unless you understand the depth of the gospel and keep growing in your understanding of that where the roots of the gospel are strong enough to withstand the incredibly painful storms that will come in this life. Now, if you are only saved and only sanctified and only sustained by the gospel, wouldn't it make sense that you need to be understanding the gospel. Not just the facts, but constantly reading and looking for the way in which the gospel is impacting and influencing your life, that you would want nothing more to have a deep understanding of the truths of Christ and what it means for you. So this morning, I have one question for every one of you. Some of you may be saying, well, I understand, I'm fine, I understand. No, 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 one question for every one of you is this. Are you, right now, trusting Christ. I'm not asking you if you trusted Christ. I don't like that language in the church. Because every time we say, have you ever trusted Christ, what we mean is, did you make some decision in the past? I'm not asking that. I'm asking, are you trusting Christ right now? Are you living in a trust relationship with God where you're allowing him to have full authority over your life? Not have you, but are you? Are you living as if Christ is the Lord of your life? If not, I want to beg you to make a fresh commitment to Christ. Say, Father, I don't want to live my way. I want to live your way. And it could be the first time you did this. It could be that you have, that you have once again decided that you, you know that you have a relationship with Christ, but you're not living under his authority. You have kind of eased over and living under your authority. What I'm asking is this. I'm begging you to trust Christ. Allow the gospel of Jesus Christ to be such a part of you that it forms every part of your life. And you say, Father, I'm done. I, I want to give myself to you. And you will come to understand the depth of the Father's love and his goodness and his kindness to you if you will make that choice. Listen, nothing matters unless we are a gospel people, amen? And I pray that that would be deeply rooted in us, that we might be a people striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes.